Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are listening once again. This is episode 170. We're recording this on Sunday, April 3rd, 2022, at 2 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We got Zach. We got Todd with us. Both of you guys must be pretty happy. By the time everybody listens to this, I mean, we'll know who the national champ is in basketball. But, uh, I mean, Kansas, North Carolina, they can't get much better for the two of you. Well, I think our relationship has been very complex the last uh, 48 hours. I mean, <laughs> we were both – I think the one thing we can agree on is we were both pulling for North Carolina last night. No, no ambiguity there. Uh, I think for very different reasons we were pulling for North Carolina. I think the one thing we can agree on is uh, you cannot spell Duke without K. And if you spell Duke without K, you get doo-doo. And uh, I'm really uh, just, as as Coach K said, this wasn't about him. It was never about him, but it was always about him. Um, the, the, the legend, the man, I, I read somewhere that uh, his interests now include gardening. And um, I... I just, I, he's coming back, right? He's, he's going to come back. It's going to be like one of those situations where like, you know, Bob Stoops in the, in the bowl game versus Oregon this year, he's going to like coach, you know, like a, as a film game or something like that. And then it's going to turn into, there's no way he's retiring for good. Right. Well, he's well, like he, 78. I, well, I didn't he, realize how old he was. Well, I mean, he could do the Jim, uh, Jim Calhoun thing and like coach a division three school or something. Yeah. Like, or like the like Larry disappear. Brown thing. Good. Go to SMU or become an assistant at Memphis. I let's just you know I'm just I I was I was thrilled. I guess the question I have for Todd is Todd, you don't care about winning tomorrow night, right? Like your season, that's the high, you know, that's that's your season right there. So it doesn't really matter, right? Do you actually do you actually care about winning tomorrow night? Because I, I don't I don't think you do. Of, do you? Of, of course I do. <laughs> Although I would have been nice if Villanova was playing because then I could have had either my team wins or my or my futures ticket cashes, but. You know. <laughs> oh, that's right. You had you had that on the books for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I, I bet that before the first tournament game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't. It, it, yeah, yesterday was a was a great day. I mean, North Carolina is always going to have that over Duke. Like that that rivalry is like <laughs> over now. <laughs> well, and and with that win, I saw that was the one hundredth game between Duke and North Carolina since Coach K took over at Duke. And with that game, the record is fifty and fifty. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> if I, I if they would have just done what they always do and put them on opposite sides of the bracket, we could have had that be the championship game. That would have been gross. I don't know. Okay, here's my here's my <laughs> low key hot take. Is it really a rivalry? I mean, Carolina has won you know three championships in the last what twelve years, and like I feel Duke's like, two. yeah, Duke's won two, but I just I don't know. I kind of feel like Carolina's kind of owned Duke to some capacity. Like they Did have. Did you the... hear the stat I just said? 
since Coach K has been coaching, they are 50 I know. I just, 50. I just, listen, I'm responding to all the Carolina fans out there who are like, this is the greatest moment in the history. Of it. This is not like, you know, a St. Peter's type David versus Goliath thing, okay? It's an evenly matched series. You got you, you got the win, great. You got the Coach K, you got him at Cameron. The Heels were an eight seed. There's there's only been one eight seed to ever win the championship. Like, this is a big deal. Like, this, would they, be, this, this is, is not like, a good Carolina team. This is like if Auburn beat Alabama in the college football semifinal in Saban's last game. That's what this is. I look. Yeah. I'm, I'm 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 criticizing the thing that I love about Carolina fans. Just keep it up. Talk talk yourselves. You know, good. Tyson Tate did an hour and a half long podcast where they pat, pat themselves on the back for Carolina. Just do it. Keep talking about it. Don't think about tomorrow night's game. Congratulations, you had a great season. Well, I don't know. This Carolina team remind, reminds me of like the Ed Davis led Carolina teams, like that were really not good. They had like one big guy, and that's it. And so this is like I I've never seen a team turn around quite like this team did i mean it was really when brady manic got put in the starting lineup that that they started playing really well but can you imagine if this was also roy williams last year well that's the thing is that this game last night it began as this is coach k's final tour and it did then it pulled a christopher nolan and night Shyamalan, and it became about roy williams's last tour <laughs> this was all about roy williams all along i didn't realize it spoiler alert and, and now Roy Williams' protege gets to try and get his first national championship against Kansas, where Roy coached for how long? Has there, has there been a coach that's won on, in their first season as a head coach? Like, I mean, I know that they were talking of some stat like that about Tommy Lloyd, but obviously they got knocked think, out early, but they I were never st- talking about Hubert Davis. I think, didn't Alford win as a coach in Michigan? In his first year, I think. All, Alford never coached never... or well, who's who was the Michigan coach when they beat Seton Hall like the right at the beginning of the Fab Five I think he was in, in his first oh, that the... coach was Fisher Fisher that's right I'm sorry I, I don't know why I said that could be did did Kevin Ollie was that his win first, in his year first year, year yeah, Kevin, I think Kevin Ollie was first year yeah that sounds right okay well yeah that, okay that'd be one well yeah but I mean I don't know I think Fisher was a coach before that maybe not at Michigan but all right, so so we know. I think I think we know what Todd predicts for this game tomorrow. I think we know what I predict. Terry, what what is your prediction for tomorrow? Break the tie here. We always have a tie on this episode. What 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 say you? Obviously, you're the real so, college basketball fan among the three of us. Ollie's second or third oh, year. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, I I don't know. One, I will say, I've always kind of been a Coach K fan. So I was kind of I was kind of rooting for Duke to pull it out. Um, I, I've always been a little more Duke than North Carolina in that sense. Um, he was hating on um, Space Jam. Yeah, I, I will say though I like Hubert Davis, so I, that's one thing it's got going for it. Kansas always chokes in the big moment, but usually they choke earlier than the championship game. Like if they True. make it this far, they usually they usually bring it home. So. Uh, I don't know. I think I think Kansas is going to pull it off. Uh, Kansas, I don't know. They had the easiest bracket, and they almost lost to Creighton. Like I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think but, they've proven a whole lot in this tournament yet. And then Villanova they obviously shorthanded. Here, they, if they we get this get far, they Peters. usually they usually take care sure. of it. So I'll, I'll I'll go Kansas, but well, Kansas I lost mean, their last championship game uh, with the Thomas Robinson. 
team. Oh, yeah. Shout out to T-Rob and Jeff Withy. By the way, all the Kansas fans listening, Todd thinks that Sharon Collins was a greater Kansas player than Ochai That alone is uh, worth, uh, you know, that's like, Sharon Collins is like what a non, someone who's never spent time in Lawrence would say is a great Kansas player. How about everybody says Nick Collison's a better player than Abaji, except for you. Apparently that's before your time is what you told me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so Zach, uh, Tell me if I've got a a good vibe on on Kansas fandom right now. If if Kansas wins tomorrow, Bill Self is the greatest coach of all time. If he loses, he should be fired. Oh, absolutely not. I <laughs> not at all. We lo- we love Bill Self here. We're no, really, so really. I always I always thought and, and, he was no. he was like he's over Roy Williams at this point. We love him more than Roy Williams. He was able to win a title. It was a miracle that he won that title, but I'm just you, you. You even said like a few weeks ago that all of the, the Jayhawks this year are B plus players. Uh, well, yeah, but they have elevated their game. I mean, I was not expecting that out of uh, McCormick, and uh, I think you know. Okay, we have three distinct advantages going into t- tomorrow's game. We have uh, a be- better depth, we're healthier, and we have better coaching. But I think otherwise, it's a very even matchup. I could see it going either way. I do acknowledge that we've had some major breaks in this bracket, including some injury issues with the teams that we've faced. And it feels like we've only played ACC teams or Big East teams, excuse me. Um, but this is the best Kansas team I've ever seen in, in since <laughs> living in Lawrence. I think this is better than the T-Rob team. This is better than the Devontae Graham teams. It's better than the Morris Twins team. This team has everything. So, so then they're going to lose. I wouldn't put it past them, but I feel I feel reasonably confident we're going to win. The the one the team that lost to Northern Iowa was your best team ever, right? Like the, well, no, there's never been a more no. slam dunk title favorite than that that team. Um, that team didn't have a lot of depth. It had the Morris twins. It had it had Sharon Collins on it. Hey, there we go. That's another reason why he shouldn't be a top five uh, Jayhawk. Uh, but no, I mean this team has a Baji for your starter. We have Lightfoot, who's been there since, you know, the George W. Bush administration. I mean, you know, these guys have been there forever. McCormick, you know, Remy Martin. Uh, I, hey, we're in New Orleans, okay? A player named Remy should be uh, relevant in the game. So uh, there's uh, there's every reason to believe we're going to play. We're, we're going to win it tomorrow night. We'll be cutting down the nets. I think I've seen, I've watched like a total of an hour of tournament play like this entire this entire tournament it's just been weird i haven't been able to catch much i watched a decent amount last night i watched the end of uh end of the first game i think but the the big the big sporting event i mean opening days this week go mariners thursday's opening day that that that's what i'm more concerned about so hey should we talk yeah. about movies now <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I was going to suggest we do a live recap to the, tomorrow night's basketball game, but there's only so much of that I can handle. True, true. Yeah, the last time we were on was the was the live recap to the Oscars, um, and and we're kind of getting back into normal here, which is is kind of nice. I mean, we we like live for the Oscars every year, but then it always messes up our routine every year when we get there. So we're getting back into some some more uh, regular programming with this uh, with this podcast. So. Uh, let's start the way we always start. Zach, what are you drinking? 
in honor of the greatest KU fan, celebrity KU fan, Paul Rudd, I'm drinking some Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which, according to Terry's trivia, he was drinking in Knocked Up. He totally was. You're right. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Todd. I have a blended margarita. Very nice. Very nice. I have I've had this one before, but I still have some of it, so I'm drinking it again. It's a uh, from Boneyard Brewing. It's the RPM IPA. It's a nice one. It's good stuff. Good stuff. That's what I was drinking during the Oscars. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So someone's going right. to slap someone else on this podcast, then, right? That's what that means. Well, we'll definitely be talking about it later, but uh, we'll we'll get to that at another point. Let's talk about what we've been watching. It's been like three weeks since we've done any recaps of what we've been watching and and things like that. So let's see here. Let's start with Todd. Tell us about what you've been watching. Uh, So I'll review one that I saw in the theater, and that is The Lost City. Oh, my God. uh, Wow. Aaron Nee and Adam Nee. Uh, This is a movie about this introvert author of like a popular adventure novel series. And her name's Loretta Sage, played by Oscar winner Sandra Bullock. And she's on tour and she gets kidnapped by this billionaire named Abigail Fairfax, played by uh, Daniel Radcliffe. And he wants her to help her like discover some treasure by deciphering some clues because she mentions something about it in one of her books. And the cover model of her books is Alan, played by Channing Tatum. And he is, like, not so secretly in love with Loretta. And he witnesses the kidnapping and decides he's going to help, like, uh, save her along with um, her publicist, uh, D- played by Devine Randolph. And Jack Trainer, who is uh, Oscar winner Brad Pitt. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, like, extraction expert, kind of. Um, and they travel to some remote island with a very active volcano and... Uh, and it's an old-fashioned, like, adventure comedy that goes from there. It's sort of in the vein of, like, Romancing the Stone. But with this cast and crew, it kind of feels like National Treasure meets The Proposal with, like, a dash of Tropic Thunder. It's really kind of a bizarre uh, movie. It's, uh, it's really corny and predictable at times, but it, it it does have a really good pace. It keeps moving. It's a lot of fun. Like, I, honestly, I think the $70 million budget was really well used. Like, 15 years ago, this would have been, like, a $125 million budget, and it would have been, like, the biggest thing in the world. But, um this i mean i mean it's, people are showing out to see it at least uh the brad pitt character is awesome he just like changes the movie for like 20 minutes like he has no business being in the movie but he's awesome and tatum is doing his thing the way he does in the jump street movies one of the writers is actually from uh, the 22 jump street it's if it had a more creative way of wrapping things up i would i would be more likely to recommend it it feels like it should have been made like in the late 90s early 2000s and it would have like a really long like cable run but instead it's just kind of a weird movie that's out now and uh but yeah it's good that people are actually going to the theater for a big spectacle like this but i'm i'm just giving it two and a half stars i i like the movie it it moves it's fun but it, it is ultimately just kind of dumb <laughs> but 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 fun i mean you didn't really expect much more than that though so is this the first sure. channing tatum movie you've given thumbs down to no <laughs> like step up probably okay i don't know this is more of a bullock movie than a tatum movie but you know they do have an interesting chemistry i could see them doing another movie together cool all right all right i'll go next 
Um, so yeah, it's been three weeks, and so I've had three Oscar watches since then, and I'm not really going to review all of them, but I'm going to kind of give a little tiny review of each one, because all have been slightly interesting experiences. So um, first, oh, let's see here. What do I want to start with? I'm going to start with um, with uh, two weeks ago, uh, and then I'll go back to three weeks ago, and then I'll go to one that I watched this week. So two weeks ago, uh, my watch was uh, a animated nominee from 10 years ago it was wreck it ralph for some reason i had avoided wreck it ralph for the longest time and so i watched it on my ipad uh on a on a plane um on my way back from washington dc in new york and uh and it it's fun i mean it's super creative and uh for people who for someone who grew up playing video games it was a it was a good time three stars for wreck it ralph Um, the second one's even better good Good. That's what I've heard. So I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to watching that one. Um, okay. So then the other two are two of the more interesting and possibly most unique experiences I've had in all these Oscar watches I've done. So go back two weeks or three weeks. And I watched uh, a documentary nominee from 20 years ago from 2002 called prisoner of paradise. That was, um, it was a documentary about uh, a victim of the Holocaust named Kurt Guerin, who was uh, a uh, film star and director in, I think he was, I think it was in Germany. Um, but he, he was, uh, he was a Jewish um, film star that directed a bunch of stuff and had been kind of making his way through uh, the war, even in, through the Holocaust by having that, that cred to him. And, uh, and it, it was an interesting story, not necessarily a very well done documentary, but what made it so interesting. So I'm like, okay, I need to watch this movie. How am I going to watch it? Uh, the library had a copy, but it had been checked out. So I look and see where it's streaming and it's streaming on Tubi. Great. Tubi's free. It's easy to get to, uh, you know, it has commercials, but that's okay. So I pull it up on Tubi and it's in Spanish. Like the only way to watch this movie streaming is to watch it in Spanish. And it's not a Spanish movie. Like it, It's a BBC documentary. Ian Holm is the narrator of this. So this was Spanish dubbing over the top of the original English. And the so I had to watch it in Spanish with English subtitles while watching English people talk with Spanish dubbed over the top of them and then reading on the in the subtitles what they were actually saying, which I could still kind of hear. It was the most exhausting film watch I've ever had because it was, it was just bizarre. So um, that, I gave that one two and a half stars. Um, it, it, it's a good story, but it, the experience was really what made that a memorable watch. So then I come to what I watched this week and this week I watched, uh, this was from 10 years ago, nominated for best foreign film out of Norway. Uh, and it is Kontiki. Um, this was directed by, let's see here. I had it right here and then I pulled away by, uh, Joachim Roning and Espen Sandberg. Uh, and it is the true story of an explorer named Thor Heyerdahl, who is trying to prove that the, uh, the Polynesians originally, uh, uh, came from South America instead of Asia. And in order to prove that, he makes himself a balsa wood raft in 1947 and sails on that raft, similar to what they would have needed to do from 
Peru to Polynesia to prove that it was possible that they were able to do this. Um, interesting story, beautiful to look at, decent movie. I, I'm giving it two and a half stars, but here's a weird part. So this, this was, um, as I'm watching it, I couldn't help but notice that the very first thing you see when you watch it is it says it was a, produced by the Weinstein Company, which is the only reason probably it got a Best Foreign Film nomination. But then I noticed, and I didn't even realize I did this, it, they filmed this simultaneously in Norwegian and in English. And I accidentally turned on my Blu-ray that I would be watching the English version and not the Norwegian version, which I was like, okay, this is not going to change that much. They're actually just talking in English. That's fine. But then I noticed afterwards that it actually cut like a half hour out of the movie to watch it in English instead of Norwegian. So I didn't even watch the true version of the movie that was nominated for, uh, for the Oscar, but it's not listed any differently on IMDb. It's just Kontiki and there is an English, you can watch it in English or, you, or they're talking in English, or you can watch it when they're talking in Norwegian. And I watched the English one and it was fine, but nothing special. So I, I just thought that was bizarre. I don't even know what to do with that. Like same actors. They're just talking in English or they're talking in Norwegian. It's got I a scars guard in it. I sometimes <laughs> like watching foreign language movies without subtitles. Or as, as uh, Nicholas Cage says in Matchstick Men, um, it's like um, the high finance is like a, mo- a foreign movie without subtitles. Didn't he say something like that, Todd? That's, you know that line, right? It sounds right. <laughs> So, so you you don't you don't see it as as a, the one inch barrier. You just remove the barrier and try to see if you can understand what they're saying. Hey, hey, you know what? Listening to a movie in another language is much better than doing the whole Zoom thing when people freeze up. I I would prefer that any day over <laughs> Zoom. All right, Zach, tell us what you watched. It's interesting that you say. I'll say one more thing about it. I I watched a Godar movie over the break. I want to review it. It's a movie. With Jane Fonda, and it actually had something really similar to what you were talking about, Terry. There's scenes where it's a French movie, but Jane Fonda plays an American in it, and she speaks in English, but there's a French person who speaks lines that like are translating her lines, and then there's English subtitles. It's very confusing. Uh, it's just, yeah. Uh, so see Tu Bien if you want a similar experience to what you had with, with those films. Anyway, the what I watched over the break was a TV series on Netflix called Inventing Anna. And uh, had enough time to watch the whole thing. It's uh, it's created by Chandra Rhimes, uh, who I'm a really big fan of. I love Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, um, and uh, it tells the true story of a uh, kind of like an heiress uh, named Anna Delvey in New York City, and she's played by uh, Julia Garner, who's best known on Ozark. Amazing actress. She's amazing in this show, I think. And uh, she's basically a fraud. Uh, all of her money is basically made up. She claims to have this uh, rich inheritance from her German father. She speaks in kind of this weird accent um, that's sort of unplaceable. And uh, the series begins at the end when she's been caught uh, in be- for you know basically all this fraud, and she's in jail. And um, the framing device of the series is that Anna, Anna Klumsky plays this reporter uh, who interviews Anna and tries to get the whole story. And each episode is kind of devoted to one person in Anna's life who she basically screwed over. And the reporter has to kind of inter- interview them. It's kind of like Social Network slash Citizen Kane, kind of the, the investigative journalist revealing the story through interviews that they cobble together. Um, it's a really interesting series. It's not a perfect show. Um 
it gets a little bit kind of flawed midway through when you start piecing together that Anna Delvey was a pretty shitty person and this whole effort by the by the journalist to find out more about her story and this sort of half-hearted attempt to redeem her in her trial. It's faulty because she's so horrible. There's nothing redeemable about what she does. She basically um, takes all these rich people, makes them look like fools, and then steals their money. Um, there's a lot of really awkward scenes in the show when she's at these rich, posh hotels and resorts and parties and spas, and she can't pay for anything, and she's always making up these lies about it. It's really fascinating. I think I described it to Todd as like the social network meets the talented Mr. Ripley. I thought a lot about that watching it. Um, it's a really interesting series. I would love to talk about it because it, it, it's not perfect in some aspects. In fact, the, the framing device of the journalist, I think, was kind of lame. Um, but it's really fascinating. And I think it, it actually the, the biggest takeaway from it is that it elevates Julia Gardner to, I think, one of the best uh, actresses working today. She's incredible in it. I would put money on her winning an Oscar in the next 10 years. Um, it is so far away from her character on Ozark. It's really hard to imagine the same actors playing both roles, but it's it's worth it. I stuck through all nine episodes. I thought it was pretty good for the most part. She's got to be in movies to win Oscars, though. She's in The Assistant, another That's role that one. was completely unlike any of those <laughs> those two roles. So I think she is, uh, well, and you know, we got to assume she she will be making more movies. I don't know. We'll have to check out her. I, would, I would hope so. But, yeah, she's she's awesome. Yeah, I've seen that one uh, on there. So is that a limited series or is this like a season one going into season two? Oh no, it's a limited series. It's only okay. it's only nine episodes. Yeah, I would right. assume it's okay. got an all star cast too. Some pretty pretty big names in it as well. Like uh, uh, Laverne Cox is in it. Uh, Anthony Edwards is in it. Uh, ben Rappaport. Some really big people. Some really nice performances. Um, and yeah, just you know, kind of fun seeing an uh, all-star cast. All right. Yeah, I did see that one was there. Uh, I mean, the last couple of days, we've had to spend some time on Netflix to talk about what we're going to be talking about next. So. so let's get into that. It's time for our featured reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And I mean... There was stuff coming out in theaters, but honestly, none of us really cared about Morbius that much, seeing Jared Leto. No. I mean, no. We, we just saw him as an Italian. Do we really need to see him as a werewolf? So, What about that TV show he's in? He just looks weird when he looks normal. <laughs> what the TV one with Anne Hathaway? In? We Crashed. Oh, I haven't even heard of that one. It's on Apple saw, TV+. Plus. Yeah, I've seen a ton of oh. commercials for that. Ooh, Zach, uh, you have Apple TV Plus now. What have I, you? Uh, what have you caught up with? Absolutely nothing. I watched a little bit of Coda again. Um, I feel like a fraud. I'm just going to put this out there. I think Coda's a good movie. I feel a little bit ashamed of our podcast last week. I was shitting on it way too much. It's it's a good movie. I I gotta say that the final scene did did me in. I think her performance of that song is a really good scene, and um, I think as good as as. Uh, you know, reigning best actress Jessica Chastain was, I, I think we will partially at least look back on 2021 and say Amelia Jones would have won best actress had the nominations come out a little bit later. I what, still what, don't agree with that at all. What, what does the wife think of Coda? Oh, she loved it. Everybody loves it. Okay, okay. Because everyone's seen it. Joe Biden know, loves not, it. Not, not, no, there's not 20 people that have seen it in the world, like you said. All right, well, let's get into our our, our featured reviews here. And for uh, for that, 
we went to Netflix for uh, for two movies that we're going to be talking about that came out this weekend from pretty uh, pretty big name directors uh, that are kind of fan favorites of ours. And so we're going to start with, and I'll start with uh, talking about this one. We're going to start with the latest from Richard Linkletter. Uh, this is Apollo Ten and a Half, a space age childhood. Is that kid? Mission for what? We accidentally built the lunar module. A little too small. How'd that happen? Listen, are you good at math? Yeah. Do you get a perfect one hundred on every test? No. Okay. We need a kid like you to test this accidentally smaller version on the lunar surface and soon. Stan, you're our only hope. Okay. Great. Let's forget about all this for now. We'll come back to this part later. First, let me tell you about life back then. Living in the Houston area in the late 60s, it was a great time and place to be a kid. But the world was changing and so was how we saw ourselves in it. Right on. <laughs> Mom, is that one a hippie? Yeah, yeah, that's a hippie. How about that one? No, his hair's not long enough. But he's wearing bell bottoms. Okay, that's a hippie. I think I like hippies. This is a covert operation. That means it does not exist. No one can know about this. Not your parents, not your brothers, not your sisters. No one. Minus 60 seconds and counting. Ignition sequence starts. Six, five, four, three. Stan, are you ready? One. Ready. Apollo 10 and a half. This is Houston. Do you read? side that uh he's explored in other movies like um like a scanner darkly and waking life um i was just gonna see this is his first movie in a little while i want to say since last or no where'd you go bernadette which nobody saw and last flight flying which nobody saw and i saw saw that one too yeah i know when when i say nobody i'm not including todd because todd sees everything um, anyways, so Apollo Ten and a Half tells the story, and it's semi-autobiographical of Richard Linkletter and kind of his experience growing up as a young boy in Texas around this time period. Uh, but it, it uh, the main character, his name is Stan, and he's a young fourth or fifth grader who uh, is growing up outside of Houston uh, around the time of the space race, around the time of Apollo Eleven and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon. And uh, a lot of it is a, is a lot of nostalgia on what life was like growing up in the late 60s as a little boy. Um, om- very almost like Sandlot-esque in how it just kind of explores the nostalgia of the time period and really lets you like sink into what it was like to be a kid at that time. Uh, this whole thing is narrated by a grown-up version of Stan, who is voiced by Jack Black, who is perfect as this narrator. I think he nails it. 
and then you have his fantasy that comes out through all this too, where you hear about uh, this plot of they made the lunar module too small and they need to send a 10 year old up instead first to test it out before they can send the adults up and they decide to get him and he's going to go up to the moon on a top secret mission. He's not allowed to tell anyone else about called Apollo 10 and a half. And he's, he's the Guinea pig. He's the one that goes up Um, and they send him and not a monkey because he speaks more of the English language. Uh, And uh, (laughs) Zachary Levi and Glenn Powell voice the, like the heads of NASA. And they're really, those three voices are the only like voices you actually recognize or might know from this movie, which is, I think another really cool thing about it. Um, I I dug this. I was all in on this. It I I love a piece of nostalgia. I think the animation really goes a long way in establishing that to show that it's talking about a time that's not our own, uh, and the the narration fits perfectly in this. Um, the the big family and all the little quirks of the of the neighborhood are so evident and so real. And uh, and just make you smile the entire time. And what boy doesn't, you know, fantasize about flying to the moon and being the first one to actually step foot there or something along those lines? Uh, I mean, he, he was one of probably many kids that had this moment. And I loved how it depicted it and how he just kind of lived vicariously through through Neil and Buzz and did this. Uh, along with them it it was it's such a cool neat story i was able to sit and watch this with my son who was like mesmerized by the entire thing he thought it was awesome as well three and a half stars this is a super cool movie uh and uh super fun uh whether you like space or not it had really has very little to do with space but the space stuff it had it did get right so uh so yeah three and a half stars for me uh, Zach, you're the other one that loves uh, that loves space stuff and NASA and space race things. So, what did you think of Apollo Ten and a Half? Uh, yeah, I loved it too. Um, yeah, I it. So, going in this movie, I really didn't know much about the project. And you're right, Rick has taken sort of a, a, a leave of absence a little bit. We don't really know what he's been up to. Um, and First 10 minutes of this movie, I'm watching it. I'm thinking this is like a Disney Channel TV series or something like what, you know, a kid going on a mystical quest and, you know, working for NASA and doing all these space tests. And I'm thinking this does not feel like a Richard Linklater movie. And almost at the exact moment, I was like, I had that thought. Then the movie, it was almost as if the movie read my mind and thought, okay, we're going to actually remind you for the next 45 minutes that this is a Richard Linklater movie. And went into you know excessive but lovely uh period detail uh ranging from you know the the uh the the, the obvious kind of par- uh, life issues in the 1960s you know issues of v- uh, vietnam war and psychedelic movement walter cronkite to the very banal mundane things like the the clip off the beer that his father was drinking in the car <laughs> right or the dripping of the uh a trash can at, that he had to take out um I think Stan is is an awesome character. I, I really um, love the, the specificity of it, which we've talked about in this podcast. Specificity it can can be great because it makes things universal. And I didn't grow up in the 1960s. I didn't grow up in Houston. Um, but, you know, sometimes what gets bogged down, what well, movies about the 60s growing up, Wonder Years type stuff, we think, 
an over-reliance on looks at, you know, the Vietnam War and psychedelic movement, drugs and things like that. And, and what I like about this movie is that it kind of shows that Houston was not real. It was, it was not exactly hate Ashbury, right? It was uh, an expanding community, but it was still a sort of culturally conservative community. And there's a really great scene in here where, you know, the mother character actually, they, they all see a hippie. They try to identify a hippie on the street as they drive by in, in uh, their, uh, their, their giant car. Um, no, his hair is not long enough. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there <laughs> but were he has times, bell bottoms. There were times <laughs> watching this movie in the kind of the flat surface where it looked like an episode of King of the Hill. That was, uh, uh, you know, uh, undeniable, uh, especially with the father character who is basically kind of like Hank Hill. He works for NASA, but he's sort of a pencil pusher. He doesn't really do anything that exciting or cool. Um, I like that this movie didn't really have a whole lot of scenes that had to deal with school or first girlfriends or kisses. I, I think that is just sentimentalized. And I like that, you know, when, when this kid talks about his favorite TV shows, he doesn't just say two or three. He lists like 30 of them, which is great. And I think that's kind of one of the points that Linklater wants to get across, which is that, you know, if you were just to describe to kids today what life was like in the 60s, they would think it was probably very um, like small. You don't have a lot of options. And uh, I think Linklater is showing the exact opposite is that it was liberating and you had so many options and so much freedom um, that you just don't have today. And I think it was also kind of interesting thinking about this movie uh, right after watching Turning Red, which I also love. We, we loved on this podcast, too. Very different movie, but also had a kind of cultural specificity that some people said, well, they couldn't relate to, especially, you know, the cis white male critics out there. And of course, they're going to love this movie. But I think those two, they're, they're both similar in that they show that childhood is uh, is is unique. And it also shows that these kids aren't necessarily eager to grow up. Like, I think it's important that those scenes that show Stan don't show him as an adult Neil Armstrong. He's just a kid on the spacecraft. And I kind of love that. The key to Linklater movies are the last 10 minutes or last five minutes. And and the, the last exchange in this movie, that the, the last real line, I think, is said by the mother. And I don't want to say too much about it. It involves... The, the night of the, the moonwalk and, and what she says was kind of like an aha moment. It was like, oh, now I understand why this movie is sort of this odd fusion of fantasy versus and nostalgia, which to me never, I, I, as much as I liked the movie, I didn't understand the purpose of the fantasy scenes in space until she said that line. And just like the end of Everybody Wants Some and Before Sunset and uh, maybe a couple other Linklater movies, uh, Boyhood, that scene perfectly encapsulates the purpose of the movie. And I agree with you, Terry. Three and a half stars. Uh, wonderful experience. And, and and Rick is the man. I mean, Eric Roberts is the man, but but Rick is the man behind the camera. All right, Todd, are we thrice approved here? Yeah, of course we're thrice approved. It is a, it's a great movie. Like it, It's way more observant than gentle than I expected it to be. Like It, it was not billed this way at all. Like, I mean, it's really kind of a peculiar story, and I don't really think it needed to be animated which is kind of refreshing that we have this movie that could have been live action, but isn't like we get almost none of that. We get almost no dramas outside of like the studio Ghibli movies that are, that, that are animated movies, but it does a really good job at like putting you in that place and time. It makes it personal, but also relatable. And the nar narration by Jack Black is awesome. Even though I kept thinking it was, he was a panda like narrating this movie, because, <laughs> but um, it, it's a, it, you said Sandlot. There's some of that. There's a there, there's some most Goodfellas-ish stuff in like uh, how he's uh, explaining his childhood. It, it's it's a really good use of pretty much an an omnipresent narration throughout the movie. 
And uh, I think the animation is the best looking that Rick has ever done. And while these aren't his best movies, they're like really interesting projects that he does. It's just a super chill way to spend 90 minutes. I'm a little lower on, on it than you guys. I could see it have been like a really big cable movie if it wasn't streaming. I'm giving it like a high three stars, but I mean, we're, we're all basically in agreement. Cool. Cool. I, I love the fact that there was a bunch of like anonymous actors too. Like I kept on listening and like, all right, do I recognize that voice? And then I would go and look. I'm like, no, that's nobody I know. Or well, will does recognize. he ever have a star-studded cast? He never. He doesn't really. Like, in Days of Confused, those were all no names when he when he made the movie. Probably the closest is Scanner Darkly. Had a pretty. Yeah. I mean, that had a Woody Harrelson. That had Robert Downey Jr. That had Keanu a bunch Reeves. of Keanu Reeves. A bunch of others I don't remember. But that so that that'd probably be cast. the most. Because other than that, like, he uses a lot of children in his movies. He uses a lot of people that you don't know. Like, and everybody wants some. Like, nobody knew who those people were at the time. I, I mean, when, when you're talking Glenn Powell as third build is the most recognizable, that's that's saying something. And Zachary Levi is the only one that you look at on screen like, yeah, that's Zachary Levi. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that's keeping it from four stars for me is that it doesn't necessarily feel substantial. And that's okay. I don't. I think Rick would say it's not meant to be substantial. In a weird, I I don't know, Todd. Have you ever seen like Guy Madden movies, like My Winnipeg? Like I, I kept thinking in a way this was like a almost like a personal essay movie more than an actual movie. And I kept thinking like, okay, well, why do we need the the Apollo Apollo Eleven training sequences? And I guess maybe that I was thinking partly maybe that's to justify the use of the rotoscoping animation because if you did that. You know, live action that would probably look really corny um but i i like it as an animated movie and it the the animation of course you know like waking life in a scanner darkly at times it looks like it's real i mean you get the sort of uncanny valley thing but it's never really disturbing or anything it's just i think really impressively done and i think even from a just a, from a visual standpoint i love how he does sort of like when, when he lists his favorite tv shows and and um, movies and stuff. I mean, it's like this this vast array that's kind of like thrown at you. And, you know, looking at the live broadcast, Terry, I mean, there were some moments in this movie that were directly in Apollo 13. I mean, yeah. the moon landing itself, the Cronkite broadcast. Cronkite ringing like, his hands. I mean, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You know, science, science reporter Jules Bergman. Actually, I don't know if he was in this movie, but um, <laughs> it's. I think it's a real treasure. Not. I think it's a real treasure for anybody who loves Apollo 13. And yet, at the same time, it's not really a movie about space. Um, it kind of looks at, like, the details in this movie are the details that Ron Howard had in the first 10 minutes of Apollo 13 when they're throwing the, the party. And uh, if you love that kind of stuff, which we obviously do, this movie is is a real treat. So I I, I really admired it. It's I think it's a, it's a sweet movie that is gentle, like you guys said, and um, just a lot of fun. And, and it's a... It, it's a, a movie for all audiences too. Like, like I said, I, I showed, I sat down and watched this with my six year old and he, he was completely enthralled by the whole thing. So thrice approved here, three and a half stars from Zach and I three stars from Todd. It's on Netflix. Now uh, go check it out. Uh, I noticed even though it just came out, it was not on its top 10 uh, most watched of the, of the day. So let's get this one on the top 10. What was on the top 10 is our next review that we're going to have, and that was The Bubble. We're almost at the nest. 
That sounds like a baby crying for its mama. Now that was a great take. Welcome to the start of production of Cliff Beast 6. Thank you for joining us in our bubble. Please make sure you're wearing proper PPE. Physical touch is, of course, off the table. <laughs> so I would recommend making sweet eyes at each other. I'll show you what that looks like. This is so exciting. It's like my movie posters have come to life. You will soon learn to hate these people. We are one of two movies in production right now. If we fail, the studio is going to go down. I'm not a magician. I know you're not a magician. If you were a magician, you'd pull a movie out of your ass. Oh my god, it's Minnie Driver. Oh, I love her. This movie is going to make the world forget about all their problems. Ah! What we're doing is edgy. Ah! It's real. Crystal just did a fucking TikTok with a dinosaur. Hey guys, I don't feel so good. Some of you tested positive for influenza. Lauren! <laughs> Think something's up with Lauren. Which is the good virus? Should we be concerned about, you know, this level of vomit? There's some really crazy shit going down on the cliff set right now. Hey Gunther, why do you look like Benedict Cumberbatch right now? Hello, I'm Doctor Strange. Oh my god! I don't like it. Stop being Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, I'm a big bag hunter with the bow. She got a big bad number drop below. Mama call me. They're keeping us here against our will. There's been a breach. I don't really ever wanna talk, talk, talk. It is getting real on Cliff Beasts. I'm a big bag hunter with the Mama called me and she happy with Are you nervous to meet the dinosaurs? Mom, they're not real. I thought there was an elephant wearing a mask or something. Uh, which was written and directed by Judd Apatow. And this one does have a star-studded cast. Uh, we're going to go to Todd first. Todd, tell us about the bubble. Okay, The Bubble is a movie, I think. It's about a film crew or trying to shoot I, a movie. I, I, the, your your big sigh leading into you starting the talk was not <laughs> lost on us. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're trying to make a movie during the pandemic. Uh, this is a series of movies it's called Cliff Beasts. And uh, they go through all the protocols, get the movie made. And uh, they go on a closed set in England. And the cast includes Leslie Mann, Iris Apatow. Keegan Michael Key, got Maria Bakalova, Karen Gillan, Fred Armisen is the director, Pedro Pascal, and a bunch of people that just like are on Zoom calls throughout the movie. Um, I'm so glad we don't get more of these kind of movies in the last two years. Like this is just so bad. Like I mean, this is it's right up there with Don't Look Up as being like the most misguided and cringy things that uh, to come out during the pandemic. It's so dumb, and maybe even as dumb as the movies that they're making fun of. I actually kind of want to see that dinosaur war movie more than I want to wanted to keep watching this movie. It, it's desperately trying to be a Christopher Guest movie, and it never can rise to that level of parody. It's so inside baseball kind of thing, and that you're not going to care because you can't relate to any of this. Like it's it's like a movie by Hollywood for Hollywood, and I don't understand why I'm watching it. 
I don't know who thought this was clever. It's it's really hard to imagine a genius like Apatow getting wrapped up in this project. Like recently, he's done like The King of Staten Island and Trainwreck, which are movies by that that are written by comedians who want to get their movie made. And this is his first like solo like uh, original movie since Funny People. But it's mo- more like Movie Forty Three and how just baffling it is that they got all these actors to be in this garbage. Like this, some of the scenes do work. And I like that it's really critical of the stupid COVID protocols and stuff, but it's just so unfunny. Like, you're better than this Judd Apatow. Like, Iris was my favorite part of the movie because she looks just like her sister and she's just as awkwardly funny. But, um, and somehow Judd Apatow made his wife and Keegan Michael Key look like really bad comedians, which is impressive. It's a future Golden Globe Best Picture nominee for sure. One and a half stars. Zach, where are you at with this one? So I want to refer to a review. Um, by Jessica King in the LA Times. I wanted to save this for my quote of the day, but I just want to read part of what she said because she had a great review of this movie. And I think it speaks to what I feel about it. To suffer through this ordeal is not is is not just to not laugh. It's to wonder if you will ever laugh again. It's to find <laughs> it hard to remember what laughter is or how it used to feel to do it. Yes. <laughs> The bubble, is, the bubble is so charmless, joyless, and jokeless, and at more than two hours, so endless, that by its close, you have to check your smile muscles for signs of atrophy. How could anything possibly go this wrong for this long? And I guess I just got to say, you know, last summer we reviewed Space Jam 2, and we all thought that was one of the worst movies we'd ever seen. I think we all... Uh, kind of um, came to the conclusion that we were going to give it no stars just because of how horrific it was. Um, this is worse than Space Jam 2. This is worse than Downsizing. Downsizing at least had some sort of strange ambition. And Space Jam 2 at least had some energy with the animation scenes and um, a few heartwarming moments with LeBron's fake son. It also warned us how bad it was, although this movie, I guess, in a way, also warns it how how bad it is, because literally the director of this movie apologizes for how bad it is at the end of it. Um, I I am at a loss for words. I think this it doesn't it doesn't get worse than this. This has to be the worst movie I've ever seen. It is unbelievably unfunny. It does everything I hate in movies. It has the scenes where um, it goes on, besides the fact that it's excessively long, it it, it does the whole, like, is this this the movie within a movie or is this real life? None of the bits work. The Daisy Ridley bit is embarrassing. Uh, Sting is embarrassing. Um, The Kate McKinnon stuff is lifeless and joyless. The TikTok is absolutely unforgivably appalling um i've liked judd apatow movies we like judd apatow on this podcast this is i guess like what siskel and ebert must have felt when they reviewed north and ebert famously called it the you know i hated 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 this movie i hated this movie i'll give it you know an extra five thousand hates uh above ebert's hate i've never seen a movie that has made me so angry and depressed at life. Thankfully, after I saw it, a few hours after I saw it, KU beat Villanova, which put me in a much better <laughs> mood. But it literally impacted my mood how awful this movie was in every single 
aspect. There is nothing redeemable about this movie. I would not force it on my worst enemy. This should be used in, like, you know, when Jessica Chastain was interrogating or waterboarding those Al-Qaeda members in Zero Dark Thirty. This is a much more effective and cruel method. It should be outlawed by, uh, you know, uh, the human resource or, uh, you know, um, the WTO or something. It's, I, it, it doesn't get worse than this, right, Terry? Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. I've got it at a half a star. I could easily go down to zero stars. Um, the only reason I was even, I even like it, it's on my like number system. It's like the lowest I could possibly give a half star. And I was okay actually leaving it there because honestly, I could see myself in like three months turning it back on and hate watching it again just to see just how bad it actually is. Um, cause it, it's, it's horrible. I mean, I feel like, like Todd said, some of the, some of the little bits work because all that's what it is. It's a, it's a series of bits. It's a series of sketches put all into a movie. And I, but I feel like the ones that work, they work because you're giving them a pity laugh. It's like, okay, that one wasn't too bad. Okay. 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 You did something good there. And when in a normal movie, that would be, it would be another sucky scene. Uh, yeah, all, all the actors have no idea what they're doing there. Um, and uh, I, I I wanted to be uh, with, what was his name? Howie, who was the one that escaped early on and just left the bubble and ran away. Like, that's, I, I think everyone in the audience was right with him on that. And what I want to know is, how the hell is this the movie that is on the top 10 most watched on Netflix when you've got something brilliant and beautiful, like Apollo 10 and a half coming out the same time from just as noteworthy of a director and nobody's watching it. No stars. Yeah. That must be it. There's no stars in it. Yeah. Because I mean, this has Keegan, Michael key. This has, this has a Marvel character. It's got the Mandalorian. It's got, it's got David Duchovny and Leslie Mann and John Lithgow. John Lithgow and Kate McKinnon and Fred Armisen and and Daisy Ridley and I mean the cast of this is insane. Maria Bakalova too, which I, I thought was one of the more charming characters in it. Uh, I don't know. I it makes me wonder. Can you can you make a good COVID movie like that? Yes. That's kind of where I'm. Seven days is the one. Kimmy, Steven Soderbergh just did it. Okay. So there, there are some, but it's, I, I don't know. I almost feel like, you know, the, the nice thing about like through the last two years, throughout all the COVID stuff, we've kept doing these podcasts and watching whatever crap has been coming out, whether it's on Netflix or prime, or when we were able to get back to the theaters, we did that. And what I loved about it is it was all stuff that distracted us from what we were in the middle of. And then I, I see a movie like this and I almost, hate it more than it should be hated even though this is horrible because it's it's reminding me of all the crap that's going on and and it almost makes it even worse than it actually is so i don't know it's it, this is bad though it's really bad i mean it's, is it's it really, really, really that bad. much worse than don't look up like they're the same movie basically don't look up is don't look up is a masterpiece compared to this movie don't look up had interesting things i know you you know Terry and I liked it more than you did, but Don't Look Up at least had something interesting to say about how the media warps people's personalities. It makes uh, 
you know, not sure uh, that's really serious that events look uh, silly and non Don't look up had aspirations. Don't look up. It had aspirations. It had <laughs> it had even moments where I almost smiled. I think the last the last scene in that movie it was not it was not terrible. Um, actually, I'm glad you brought up movie 43. I was yearning for movie 43 during this movie. I really wanted Hugh Jackman's balls on his neck again. I don't need to see, uh, you know, flying dragon balls get exploded like they are in this movie. Um, there's... See, I, I watched this and I thought this is what this is what we all thought Tropic Thunder was going to be. And then Tropic Thunder was amazing. Like that, that I, I got definite Tropic Thunder vibes watching this, except this was bad. Well, yeah, like I said, this is trying to be Christopher Guest, but it's but it doesn't have that kind of parody. This is this is like bad movie parody, and I don't know. I mean, there there really is nothing like it. The, the, I I'm, I I was having a hard time actually wrapping my mind around what this actually was. There's no way Judd thinks this is funny, right? I mean, he he he's embarrassed by this movie, right? Like he's he done a little bit of publicity it. for it. How can how can you get all these stars in a movie this bad? That's the other thing I want to know. That's why I say that's movie forty three. Like it's the same, the same thing, and and that's like aggressively bad. Like I mean, it's trying to be bad. Like why and why did that movie get made? And how did they get like a, a monster cast for it? This movie is the same kind of thing. Movie forty three had some moments of of inspiration though. I want to go back to what you said originally, Todd. If there is, I think the Iris scenes are kind of interesting. And they're not interesting. That's way too generous for this movie. <laughs> but I would say that she did the exact same thing in the TV series Love and to a much better and more effective extent. The TikTok dancing in this movie, I mean, my God, I, I lost it at that point. I, I had to watch this movie in, in three segments. I really wasn't going to watch it. I was going to lie to you guys to, that I just stopped watching it at an hour long. But I don't know. For something this bad, I guess you have to commit to it. I feel I feel dirty and ashamed. There it's was getting a nominated the Golden Globes. Dinosaur. TikTok dancing dinosaur. Yes. And and even I mean they were they were being absurd at that point, but it wasn't funny. It was, it was. I would I would watch Space Jam 2 over this any day. I mean, I, I know there's recency bias, but Space Jam 2 at least had some sort of energy to this. This was a comic death zone. See, that, uh, that's the, a good quote. A comic death zone. I like that. I like <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I'll, I think Space Jam 2, the difference between that and this is Space Jam 2, we were like, like offended by what they thought was entertaining. This, I think they just made a bad movie. <laughs> but it's I, so inside I'm Hollywood. I'm Everything. by what they thought was entertaining in this movie. All right. Well, I, I, we're all arguing at, at what level of hell this belongs in. So oh, let's just move on. <laughs> uh, Todd gives it one and a half. I give it a half. Uh, uh, Zach reserves the lowest part of uh, of loathing for this. At, at uh, if there was something less than zero stars, I think the worst movie of all time. It it may be the worst movie I've ever seen. I don't know if I can definitively say that, but I think I was even thinking about Desperados, which we all deeply loved, 
I, I yearn for that. I miss Desperados. That had some funny moments. Remember in the Mexican resort? You know, that, that was that was great stuff compared to this. Uh, what, what did the wife think of it? Didn't watch it. Oh. She got she got lucky. Yeah. I, did you I, watch it with someone else? Did you watch it with Cassie? I, I mean, I feel bad for people that anybody the, that had to watch the, it. The look on her face of confusion while she just kept on saying, what the hell is this? Was was quite impressive. I'll just say that. She had, it, it was, yeah, undescribably what the hell. It's a red flag when he can't even get Seth Rogen in his movie. Like, I mean, <laughs> he had to have his wife and his daughter, like, play significant roles because <laughs> nobody else is going to say yes. Uh, Except Pedro Pascal, who apparently says yes to everything. <laughs> apparently. I, I, I'm still looking forward to the unbearable weight of massive talent. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Uh, that one is thrice declined, but it's what everyone's watching. So stop watching the bubble. Go watch Apollo 10 and a half instead. Watch, watch Steven Soderbergh's bubble. That's a great movie. Mm. My, my you, best actress of 2006. If you can find Bubble by Steven Soderbergh, watch that. I know Zach has it because I gave it to him on DVD for his birthday. Really? I don't remember that. I believe you, but... Yeah. That was a great birthday. You know, what's funny about Bubble, that is the movie we will remember in cinematic history as the, the first movie that was released in theaters, streaming, and on DVD the same day. Oh, wow. Don't they talk about Bubbles and Knocked Up? Like, I, like what do kids yes. see in Bubbles? Like, you know, I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, no, I get it. They pop, they float around. You know, I get it. You know, That's when Judd Apatow <laughs> was funny. Hey, remember when Judd Apatow was funny? It's been a long time. <laughs> all right well uh, let's move on now those were our featured reviews uh it is now time for power rankings you can't top that yeah that's the movie about the horse i'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here that's because i haven't seen it power rankings not including fargo can't choose fargo ever again and this this felt like the most natural topic that we could all agree on for power rankings like ever and so after after last week and the oscars and everything that happened there uh and and all the fallout that came from that or lack of fallout you could say um we we decided we had to celebrate this year's academy awards and there was only one way to do that todd what are we doing this is actually zach's category okay zach zach you can describe it what are we doing here this was this was a we, we tag teamed it uh, we did. We did. Yeah. So uh, this is greatest uh, cold cocks in movie. T- now, when we say cold cock, I don't know if what we if what we saw with Will Smith and Chris Rock would actually constitute a cold cock. So we're going to be generous um, in this category. We're going to say cold cock, punch, slap, um, any sort of forceful contact. Uh, will it has constitute- to be sort of out of nowhere, kind of right. The, the kind of the idea. Um, I didn't necessarily make that a prerequisite, but I'm looking at my list, and a lot of them are out of nowhere. So that's I mean, probably a cold cock a good kind fit. of kind of it, it. You you think out of nowhere when you think cold cock. So that's cold, kind of what I was going for too. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. All right. So this is gonna be fun. I, I I'm really excited about this list. There a uh, lot a lot. There's a lot out there. 
There I'm is. amazed. We let's thank Will Smith for having us come up with this category. I don't think we ever would have had this as a power ranking were it not for Will Smith. <laughs> we would have never thought of this if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Will Smith. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, Zach, you're going to start us off on this one. Uh, all right, number five. So all I've been thinking about is how you know after this Will Smith incident, how once upon a time in Hollywood, um, you could punch someone. And you wouldn't win Best Actor for it. You would actually lose to Denzel Washington. <laughs> and so my number five comes from a movie we love on this podcast, A Beautiful Mind. And it is the scene um, when early in the movie, John Nash is hanging out at the bar with his friends. And he sees a bunch of ladies. And of course, John Nash, underrated coxman, underrated stickman, goes up to the, the lady and says... I don't know exactly what I'm required to say in order for you to have intercourse with me, but could we assume that you've said all that, that I've said all that? Essentially, we're talking about fluid exchange, right? So could we just go straight to the sex? Bam! <laughs> no hesitation there. Oh, wait, actually, I think there was a little bit of hesitation. She says, I believe, oh, that was sweet. And uh, yeah, he uh, he gets slapped there. But he, he, he refines his skills a little bit later on in the movie, but a uh, great moment in that movie and, you know, um, R.I.P. Russell Crowe, because under, <laughs> you know, the Academy's jurisdiction today, he would have an Oscar even if he was maybe kicked out of the Academy. I think it's worth it. That's a good one. This is what I love about this is we're going to come up with some stuff that no one else had thought of and have it on this list. And, and it's going to be. It's going to be. You, did, you didn't think of that scene, Terry? I was nervous I you were going to say that scene. Okay. I did not think of that at all. That's a good one. That was That's a good, a good one. one. All right. I'm going to go next. Uh, my number five uh, comes from a movie that at least some of us like on, on the podcast. And it, I, I'd say it's it's the one on my list that's a little it's a little less than a, than a cold cock because they they kind of saw it coming. They kind of asked for it and it actually, you know, it didn't really land in the face. It more landed in the ear region. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. It's fight club. It's fight club. And Tyler Durden asking Edward Norton to hit him. And, uh, and it's kind of, I mean, you could say it doesn't really belong on the list because it's kind of a horrible punch because he does hit him in the ear, which is actually what happened. Like that, that, that's a true reaction that Brad Pitt has in that moment because he actually hits him and he hit him in the ear. But um, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of the more memorable punches that I can remember. So I had to put it on the list. So number five is Fight Club. Nice. That's a beautiful choice. <laughs> All right, Todd, All right. number five. So the Will Smith hit was an open hand hit. And if I'm talk, if I'm thinking about open hand, cold cocks there's no other open hand that i want than the giant retractable hand in jackass 3d that they were yes. yes. clothesline people with so that's what i'm going with is my number five like it's completely out of nowhere God to put it on my list <laughs> you walk around a corner and bam cold cock clothesline i mean there's no better cold cock than getting clotheslined and uh, that giant hand like that thing never stopped being funny and uh yeah it had to be on the list. Well, and it's ironic you said that the sound it makes is bam because when it hits bam, that's the best one because it's that's <laughs> when they put the flower on it. 
That's a good point. Uh, that's a good point. That, that's a great one. That is a great one. All right, Zach, number four. All right, well, we've been saying that the Will Smith slap is the slap heard around the world, but back in an, you know a naive era, an innocent era, like Richard Linklater would say about 1969, I'm talking about 2009, um, there was a little show on MTV that didn't get a lot of attention until uh, its main character named Snooki was, was slapped. And that show is Jersey Shore season one, the guy who punched Snooki at the bar and um listen i mean this was this was the original slap heard around the world and you know she was just partying on the shore and uh then she got cold cocked by a guy and then the next mtv like edited part of it out she's on the floor crying and then ron 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 and uh jay wow are getting into it um, I think the situation was there trying to, to not diffuse the situation, but intensify it. And uh, according to this article that I'm reading right now, remember who the guy who punched Snooki at the bar, see what he's up to now. He's actually, I believe, um, in jail now. Uh, well, he was put on probation. Uh, he served six months for uh, for punching Snooki. And, uh, you know, th- this was this was the 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 Oscars loved this punching, right? And I think it's similar to when when Snooki got punched because it put Jersey Shore on the map and it was a great moment in reality TV history and it has to be mentioned as my number four pick. Interesting. Neither of you guys are Jersey Shore fans, but nope. uh, l- l- let me guarantee you, it, it was worth it. It, w- it was worth the price of admission. Okay, okay. I'll take your word for it. Jersey Shore was way better, by the way, than the bubble. <laughs> way more intelligent. Way more well-crafted in its dialogue. All right. Number four on my list. I'm going back to 1993. I'm going back to Groundhog Day. And uh, the, this is it's one of the funniest punches I've ever seen. Uh, so you've got you've got Bill Murray playing Phil. And, and he's going through this day over and over and over again. And the very first day, time he does this day, he runs into this guy who recognizes him from high school. Hey, remember me, Ned Ryerson. And he has to run into this guy every single day. And then one day he's just had enough and he walks up to him and Phil looks at him and says, Ned and just socks him one right in the face and he goes down hard. It is so funny and it's so earned by Ned <laughs> and he doesn't even know it uh, that. Yeah. Once I, once I saw, I, I, I saw this was, I remembered this one. It had to be on the list. So number four, Phil knocking out Ned in groundhog day. I had thought of that one too. That that is a good one. Yeah, that 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 is the definition of a cold cock. It, it totally is. <laughs> All right, Todd, number four. My number four comes from Police Academy. It is uh, it's it's Leslie Barbara, and Tackleberry. So Tackleberry is like, come on, I I want you to just hit me. I want you to punch me in the gut. Come on, do it. You just punch me, and then he's like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. And then when he does, he slaps him across the face. <laughs> And it's like, and, and like Taco Bear is just like, oh, that was good. Okay. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Leslie's got a bunch of great moments in that movie, but that, 
that that yeah, I mean this this slap. It's it's just I mean the fact that it was a slap makes it even better. Yeah. I I did not have that on my list. However, I did have a moment kind of in honor of the bubble. I had a moment from Police Academy six on uh on my since they were making Cliff B six. I had a moment from Police Academy six and it was it was a showdown between Hightower and the big bald oh. dude with the big beard. Yeah. And how they just are standing there like mano a mano punching each other and seeing who can punch the hardest. Oh, crapola. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't think Zach, of that one. Zach doesn't know what we're talking about. No idea. <laughs> All right. Give us your number three. Sounds, sounds like it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> my number three is also a TV pick. I hate to go two straight TV picks, but I think I have to go. Well, starting with the greatest reality show of all time, Jersey Shore, and then just the greatest TV series of all time, Breaking Bad. A lot of great punches in Breaking Bad. Underrated show in terms of its quantity and quality of punches. You could go, um, you know, when uh, Tuco beats up Nodos to his death. You could go when Jesse's mother slaps him and says, what is wrong with you? Um, even the scene where Walt tries to wake up Jesse from his uh, near overdose at the end of uh, season two uh, when he tries to get the, the meth. Um, I'm going to go, though, with the first episode of the final season when Hank confronts Walt. Actually, it's more Walt confronting Hank in his garage when he finds the GPS tracker underneath his car. And uh, Hank, you know. He actually activates the garage door clo to, to close, and Walt says, Hank, I, I don't like the way you're looking at me. And then it pauses, and then wham, right in the face, right in the knocker. Walt falls over, and then Hank goes into, uh, you know, we were all, listen, the fans of the show, we knew that at the end of season four, uh, Hank had found out. We were wondering how this was going to come to blow. And that first episode is you know 50 minutes of nothing really happening i mean it's a great episode but it, it doesn't revolve around the confrontation until the very end of that episode when hank finally punches walt and it's a great moment it's a, it's a truly um the climax of the greatest show of all time and it's really one of the first punches i thought about that really just uh, impacts you on a gut level so you got to go with that that was, that was a good turn of phrase you used there how it all came to blow i mean that's <laughs> Well, well done, considering the list. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Very intentional. <laughs> Would you agree? Okay, but you guys have both watched the show now. We know it's the greatest show of all time. Would you agree that was probably the best punch on the show? In a show with many great punches? It was a good one. It was a good one. I wasn't actually thinking of, like, being able to think of any other punches. Like, it, it is, a, I mean, it's obviously a great one, but I do. I wasn't actually coming across any others. It was a lot more forceful than Will Smith. Will Smith could have uh, looked to Hank for some guidance and how to actually punch someone, um, but uh, it's 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 very high quality. Yeah, Will Smith went into like full. I don't even know what his stance was. He was a really strange stance. Like that, that's not the way you should like be throwing a slap. That's why it looked so staged. Like that's why everyone thought it was it was just part of a bit. Like it was um, it had full upper body movement on a slap. I mean, it was, it was bizarre. So, so my, so, so my thought with Breaking Bad, um, can you, can you call hitting someone with a car a cold cock? Could be. <laughs> because that, that was, that was, if so, that's a pretty, that was a pretty good cold cock. Like when, when he saves Jesse there. Yeah. 
you could go with that. I mean, he's basically getting clotheslined because it's in the same category. All right. I'm going next, number three on my list. Uh, I'm going back to, I'm going to something that is kind of topical with uh, a different, some different news that we got this week of, uh, of Bruce Willis retiring. And, uh, and I mean, shout out to Bruce Willis and, and, uh, and his family as they're going through a really tough time, but I'm going to die hard and it's not even John McClane. It's Holly Gennaro, uh, punching one of the, the most detestable characters in all of, in all of movies. Like, like the reporter in die hard and, and then Dr. Chilton in sounds of the lambs. I put in a very specific category of rat think. Like that is that is a category this guy belongs in, and he's just messing everything up. And he tries to interview Holly after they escape, and she just just gives him one right to, right to the mouth. And he just, and <laughs> and he's live on the air, and he, all he has to say about it is, "Did you get that?" I mean, it was it's just a perfect moment and the perfect way to wrap up. And I mean, I don't know if anyone deserved a punch more than than that reporter did in that moment. So. Die Hard's my number three. I had thought of that one too. Just it's justified a, cold cock. Yes. Justified cold cock for sure. For sure. All right, Todd, number three. My number three is it comes from Super Bad. And it is the shoplifter uh, <laughs> at the gl- liquor store. Because all McLovin wants to do is buy some liquor and he's bringing out his id it's like makes me feel young again <laughs> and he's handing his id <laughs> over and boom out of nowhere he goes he goes down and not only do we see it once we see it like 10 times because they keep rewinding it and watching it in the bar like man you take a punch like a champ you know I, the officer slater and michaels are just totally into it and like uh, McLovin wants to keep the tape. He's like, can, can I have that? Because it, he totally did. I mean, he, he was, he Chris rocked the shit out of that punch. Like he took it like a champ. Uh, yeah. And it's a, it's a great cold cock. I mean, he, he go he completely gets flattened by that, by that shoplifter. It's a great moment. It is a good one. It is a good one for sure. Zach. Paul. Number so, two. Super bad was number two on my list. I had the exact same scene. I didn't want to Merlot it because I wanted Todd to talk about it a little bit. Um, I agree with Todd, though. I think what makes it a great scene, first of all, it's a shocking moment in the movie. It comes out of nowhere. Um, And if that's part of our, you know, prerequisites, there's no better shocking punch than that. Uh, Literally, the arm is not even shown. It comes off screen and you just don't expect it. Um, And... That that was back when Judd was making good movies. Uh, apparently that died at some point. I think what's kind of interesting, though, about the scene, and then I agree also with Todd, the fact that it's shown over and over again in very explicit detail and almost, you know, uh, almost closely analyzed by Officer Slater's and Michael's uh, really just lends it to, to the greatness of that scene. What I think is kind of interesting is that there's another punching scene in Superbad that doesn't get mentioned as often, and that's when Evan punches Becca's boob. Now, that is a good moment as well, because that is also an unexpected punch. So I think my number 2A is McLovin, but 2B is Evan punching Becca's boob. 
You see, it was supposed to be like a like a friend, like a tap, like a like a. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a great choice too. Can't wait till we deep dive that this year. That'll be a good one. All right, number two on my list is one I know is not going to be on yours, and you're going to hate me for having it on the list. But I think it is. I think it's deserved. It's the Avengers. And it's in the middle of like the climactic fight scene at the end and all the aliens are attacking and everything and Thor and Hulk team up for this whole thing and they do it and they, they, they're, they get this moment of peace. They're just standing there next to each other and Hulk just like, just takes out Thor with one punch. I mean, it, it was one of the funniest moments of that entire movie. It's one of the funniest moments of any Marvel movie is just, it is there. There's two really in this movie, but the one that's a cold cock is Hulk just like putting his fist out and just knocking Thor into the next room. The other one is obviously him taking out Loki, but um, but the cold cock is is Thor getting getting hit by Hulk, and it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant moment. It's in my number two. Okay, it's a cherry pick. It is, it is, but it's 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 worth it. It's worth it. All right, Todd, number two. Okay, so we gotta step into the cager for this one. We're going with in, in the Wicker Man, and I'm, and yeah. I'm, even though you guys haven't seen it, you've seen the clip on uh, Nicholas Cage's illusion is shit. It is him, not only like multiple times, like he he punches the old lady just out of nowhere, and then there's also the part where he dresses like a bear and goes and knocks the person out by the tree. Like there's some really good cold cocks in that in that movie, and. And they're out of they're completely random. He also kicks a girl with his heel somehow. And not uh it's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome. But Nicolas Cage had to be on this list somewhere. And uh I think the Wicker Man, just because of the immortality that it has from uh him losing his shit, uh it had to be it had to be the one. Yeah, That's in the fair. words of, in the words of Simon Helberg on Conan, you bitches killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey. <laughs> Although I think that's from a different scene, but uh, yeah, I, I looked up some lists of like best punches in movie history, and and that came up, and it listed it as Nicolas Cage hitting the lady who looks like Kathy Bates but really isn't Kathy Bates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that's how they listed that moment. That was pretty funny. That's brilliant. I, I thought about going into the cager for I didn't go into the cager on my on my list, but as one of my honorable mentions, I had leaving Las Vegas. And I was wondering if Todd was going to go there. There's a, a few good punches in leaving Las Vegas. I really like the scene where he goes into that like biker bar and like the girlfriend oh. is like hitting on him, and then the boyfriend sees it and, and, and just cold cocks him. That's a that's almost like that should be on our list, even though it's not maybe the most you know uh, a colorful moment. But like that's almost the textbook definition of a cold cock. True, true, indeed. All right, Zach, number one. Okay, number one. Um, this shouldn't come as any surprise to Todd and Terry, but maybe the, the three listeners uh, would be surprised that it comes from my number three movie of all time in the bedroom. And that is when Sissy Spacek slaps Marissa Tomei. And I think it is appropriate mostly for, I was debating whether to put this my number one, but I think if we're talking about the form and the uh, technique of Will Smith, and we're, if we're going to critique it, we can say that it was more of a slap than a, than a punch or a cold cock. 
And Sissy Spacek definitely gives a slap <laughs> to Marissa Tomei. It is not a a uh, a hard punch at all, uh, but it is a shocking moment in a movie that actually has a good uh, some violence in it, but the violence comes at very specific moments and unexpected moments, and it comes kind of at maybe about the two-thirds mark of the movie when Marissa Tomei goes into uh, the auditorium where Sissy Spacek is listening to music or like grading her students or something. And she tries to make this half-hearted apology for being semi-responsible for the death of her son. Actually, if you want to get more specific, she's also apologizing for not being accurate in the testimony that she gave that basically leads to the acquittal of uh of of the 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 killer the, the character the the richard one of the great asshole richards in movie history and uh sissy spacek responds not with words but with a slap and uh you know i wish i wish will smith had seen in the bedroom uh to you know maybe get more guidance well maybe that wouldn't have been the best case but you know it it, it makes you think that um uh, you know, okay, a joke about someone's wife or leading to the death of someone's son. I feel like Sissy Spacek takes the prize there in the more justified slap slash cold cock. And even her form was better than Will Smith's. So there you go. Number one. That's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, going go, go to in the bedroom is never a is never a bad a bad choice all right i'm next for my number one and when we came up with this idea um last week there was i knew right away every you guys thought you knew what my number one was going to be but i knew exactly what it was going to be um it is possibly the the uh the greatest slap maybe the most important slap in movie history it's the slap heard around the world uh, I'm going back to 1967 in the heat of the night when Sidney Poitier uh, slaps back when uh, Larry Gates playing Eric Endicott slaps him. Um, it, it's, I mean, it, it's it's the most important slap ever. I mean, in in this racially charged movie that takes place in the Deep South, where where everyone has to give Virgil Tibbs some respect because he is a police detective. And and someone just for what he's been saying just comes out and slaps him and he immediately slaps him right back. I mean, that that's as good as it gets right there. And that's it's like I said, possibly the most important cold cock, most important slap of uh, of any movie ever. So I, I knew that's where I had to go with my number one. So number one is in the heat of the night. I think there part of me thought you were going to go with like Chinatown or something like my sister, my mother. <laughs> oh, there's, there's that too. <laughs> All, right. All right. Todd, number one. Well, there, there, there is only one number one and that is, comes from Friday and that's Debo played by Tommy Lister Jr. Who uppercut punches the guy and he like flies into the street and then you get the, the, the perfect line, Chris Tucker you just got knocked up out. You know, I mean, it's like there's no other, nothing, uh, no other cold cock you can have that that, that 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 if you don't have that line at the end. It's it's it's. I thought that was like the the consensus number one, regardless if you've seen the movie or not. You know, you know the clip. Tommy Lister Jr. R.I.P. 
That's a good one. That's Winston. a good one. I'm really surprised that none of us have yet mentioned what I thought was going to be one of your number ones. And that is, um, that is, uh, Stephanie taking out Jack in sideways. Oh, Oh man. That's completely a forgot that because the, I mean, it's not only taking him out, but then she follows it up with pounding his head in with a motorcycle helmet. See, that's the thing though. Is that really a slap? Like, okay. So I oh, have, no, the... she punches him first. No, she yeah. throws, she hits him with the helmet. Oh, she hits him with the helmet. First. That's a cold cock though. That's a cold it is. Cock. Well, I, see, I, I guess it goes back to your that. definition. Like my wife and I were talking about this and she thought that I should have used the scene at the most recent episode of Euphoria when Maddie beats the shit out of Sydney Sweeney and bashes her head against a locker. And I was like, that's not a punch. But dragging someone's head and bashing against a locker doesn't count. Otherwise, we got to go with Edward Norton in, in uh, American History X. Oh, yeah. Um, Which is probably more it, of a punch. I think but it's more not, of the unexpected. Yeah, that's, that, I agree. Which is why sideways works. <clears throat> I don't know. Okay. Hmm. Well, maybe uh, we'll let's, go, let's go. Let's go five to one and then go over honorable mentions. Zach, five to one. All right. Number five was A Beautiful Mind. Uh, number four is Snooky. Do you guys even know that scene when I'm referring to? No. Probably not. <laughs> Great. Number three was Breaking Bad when Hank punches Walt. Number two is Super Bad. Um, I had two from Super Bad, including the boob punch. And uh, number one in the bedroom. And for me, number five is Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Number four is Groundhog Day. Ned? Number three is Die Hard. Did you get that? Uh, number two is The Avengers. There's nothing. I mean, Hulk hitting Loki. There's nothing really fancy about that. And number one, in the heat of the night, Sidney Poitier slaps back. Todd. Number five, the giant retractable hand in Jackass 3D. Number four, Leslie Barbara slapping Tackleberry in Police Academy. Number three is uh, the shoplifter in Superbad. Number two is Nick Cage multiple times in The Wicker Man. And number one is Debo in Friday. All right, Zach, honorable mentions. Okay, I had uh, Barry Pepper in 25th Hour, the end of that movie, lots of punching. Mm. Um, Talk more about that next week. I think so. Michael Keaton and Glenn Close in the paper, the stop the presses scene. Um, I was shocked that Terry didn't go with the late Robert Forrester in The Descendants. That was part of what inspired this list. I'm yeah, it's on, my, it's on my honorable mentions. I mean, he, he warns him. <laughs> he actually true. uses the word cold cock, too. Um, Mike Tyson in The Hangover. He still got it. Um, Twister. Uh, he's in it for the money, not the science. And then the confrontation at the gas station. I mean, we're just talking classy, greatest actor of all time, Bill Paxton, RIP. And then a few more that we have to mention. I, I went with Pam punching Michael in season six of The Office after yep. Pam dates uh, Michael's mother. Todd doesn't know what we're talking about. Yep. Um, I also went with the Sergeant Bilko trailer when apparently Sergeant Bilko's uh, bride punches him and he puts on glasses. And last but not least, uh, oh, also uh, Jojo Rabbit, the last scene, um, Moonstruck, of course. And then the one I'm most proud of, Jim Everett. Jim, don't call me Chris Everett in Jim Rome. I, I don't think you're going to call me Chris. 
you do it again, we're going to stop the cameras and I'm going to slap you. And and then he goes for it. That was the original Will Smith, Chris Rock of the 1980s when that moment happened. Not that I remember it, but Jim Rome, man, great moment. Legendary YouTube moment. That, that's good. All right. My umbrella mentions I had, I also had the office I had police Academy six, which I already mentioned. I did have the, the descendants. Um, I had Conan, the barbarian. He punches a horse. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. I haven't even seen the movie, but I've seen the clip of him punching a horse. Um, I had sideways. Um, how, how about, how about death proof when the girls just surround stuntman Mike and just beat the crap out of him? Yeah. I mean, it's not really a cold cock, but it's pretty good. We're multiple. Um, uh, it doesn't really qualify, but uh, I had to. I had to. As I was thinking about this, I had to talk about, uh, or I had to think about what you would do if you were thrust in the middle of a vicious cockfight, and uh, when Brick killed a guy, I saw that. Uh, so Anchorman, I, I had to think about that, and then but throwing a trident. <laughs> like they can't they they can't touch the face like there's no cold cocks in there i know i know i know but but it, it, it i mean similar verbiage and then and then the last one i'm going with austin powers because who throws a shoe honestly <laughs> so uh, nice yeah that, i mean that that came out of nowhere <laughs> all right thought honorable mentions uh, I also had mike tyson in the hangover i i got a uh, mental and dumb and dumber the guy get off the phone and then he punches through the the phone booth and knocks the guy out uh, i have um adam sandler's character in click where he puts um uh david hasselhoff on pause and then he just beats the shit out of him oh that's and such then, a good call and then he turns back on he's like oh i got hit. i got hit by a truck um <laughs> Uh, and I have in Wanted, you got uh, Wesley when he uh, is finally fed up and he just like smacks Chris Pratt with a, with a, I think it was a keyboard, which makes me sad that I didn't think of Sideways. Like it's the same, similar kind of thing. I have uh, the Riddler in Batman Forever, but it's not necessarily Coldcock because he's the one that takes the brunt of that, that pain. He punches him. He's like, ow! <laughs> well, you could have gone, you could have gone earlier when he took out, uh, when he took out his boss. Caffeine will kill ya! Oh yeah, there's that too. And then the wow. one, probably my favorite cold cock, like ever, is Jermaine O'Neal at in the Mouse in the Palace. Because oh yes, it, it costs it cost him twenty five games, but that is the one that was an actual cold cock because it was just a fan that was like jogging across the court, and he comes up and he punches him so hard that he slips and falls on his ass. I was gonna while say doing that it. it got so much. The punch landed so much harder because he slipped. <laughs> I know, it was. <laughs> It, it 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 was an amazing punch, and I mean that that guy could not have gotten up after that. <laughs> I mean, That's if I was going to TV TV thing, a real life thing too, Jermaine O'Neal. That's a great call. That's a great call. Okay, now it's time. Let's see if we can predict Adam's list. Zach, what do you got? All right. We also forgot to mention Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, the opening segment on the Jerry Springer show. Lots of punches thrown there. Oh, I don't think you could go. isolate mm. one of them. Anyway, um, top five for Adam. Number five, Whiplash. I'm not really sure what he'd choose, but there's a lot of slapping going on. Oh, and yeah, when he slaps him because he's dragging a rusher. Oh. Right. Uh, number four, Empire Strikes Back, when Han tells che uh, che uh, Chewbacca, punch a Chewie to get out of the gravity wall. Number three, <laughs> punch a Chewie. That's an Adam pick, right? <laughs> um, number three, Moonstruck. Snap out of it. 
Number two, the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know if there is a punching scene in that, but you, you got it. The odds are good with the Charlton Heston movie that there's got to be some punching somewhere. Maybe Moses punching someone at some point. And then uh, number one, when George McFly punches Biff in Back to the Future. All right, uh, my my list number five. I've got the Avengers, Hulk hitting Thor. Number four, I've got the Dumb and Dumber one with Mental hitting the guy. Uh, number three, I've got Superbad and McLovin. Number two, I have The Hangover with Mike Tyson. And number one, I have George McFly in Back to the Future. Number five, I, I had Whiplash. Number four, the Die Hard on the Reporter. Number three, The Hangover. Number two, Groundhog Day. And number one, Superbad. It's all ones that we've mentioned. All right. Here we go. Adam's list. Honorable mention. Uh, he's got uh, Hulk punches Thor in the Avengers. Uh, there you go. Uh, he has the price is wrong, bitch, from Happy Gilmore. Oh, right. Um, I can feel it in the air tonight from The Hangover. Uh, the ladies punching stuntman Mike in Death Proof. And uh, Butterbean knocking out Knoxville in Jackass the movie. Nice. All right. Here we go. Uh, number five, Evan punches a boob in Superbad. There we go. Could have McLovin getting punched by the thief. However, the punch I picked is way more awkward. What was intended as a playful shoulder punch turns into something more traumatic for Evan. It's the reactions from Michael though. Sarah and Martha McIsaac's Becca are priceless. It captures that awkward high school phase perfectly. Is that the actress's name? Apparently, Martha McIsaac. <laughs> I would have never gotten that. That should have been a trivia question. That'll, that should, that'll be a trivia question on our uh, deep dive. What is the actress's name? Yep. Number four, Holly punches the smarmy, smarmy reporter. I don't even think that's a word. In Die Hard, John McClane is our hero, but Holly Gennaro pun, uh, McClane delivers a punch we won't forget. I love how every time I see this punch, I just laugh because it's simply amazing. Um. Number three, Nicolas Cage bear attack in The Wicker Man. Had to go with Nicolas Cage here. He's dressed as a bear and punches an old woman. Classic Cage. Uh, number two, Les Grossman demands a knockout in Tropic Thunder. Tom Cruise yelling at a crew member to punch director Damien Cockburn. I can only imagine how hard the punch would have been if Les was actually on location with the film crew. And number one, hey, you get your damn hands off her and back to the future. In this David versus Goliath moment, we see George McFly go up against Bully Biff. It's a classic moment that is one of the reasons it's on my top 100. Okay. so I got one and a half. I got one and a half. <laughs> but one of them was the number one. What did you get, Zach? Okay, so I got one. You got one. I got one and a half with number one. Yeah, so Terry wins. So I win. That's your win number 23. Zach has 25, and I have 38 and a half, 33 and a half. I also had two that were on the honorable mention, too. So. 38 and a half. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty good showing. All right. I win. I get a pick next time. And now it is time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. It had been a while, and none of us really could remember exactly who was supposed to watch what and how it was all supposed to work oh, out. Because oh, foggy haze at this point. <laughs> it truly is. 
So uh, we're just skipping the what were we supposed to watch and going straight to the game and uh, and do that before we wrap this all up. So, Zach, I believe you were nominated as our host for trivia this week. What are we doing? All right. Well, this this is going to get a little complicated slash convoluted, but why not? Because we're, we're out here having some fun. So um, there was a list put out by Rolling Stone magazine uh, last month. The 100 on the cover of the Rolling Stone. That's right. This was the 100 greatest movies of the 1980s. Now, I'm just going to say there are podcasts out there that would be simple and plebeian enough to just say, okay, name whatever was on this list. We are advanced. We are sophisticated. So we're going to, we're going to move a step up. We're going to, like Nick Cage said in his uh, acceptance speech, we're talking about the future of acting and um, the future of trivia. So here's what we're going to do with this. Uh, Not only do you have to name a movie, we're going to treat it like instead of naming a movie, you're going to nominate a movie. If you get that movie correct, you will get one point. But we're going to take it a step further. If you nominate a movie that was on this list, then you have to say where you think it ranks on the list. And then the other person will also get to say where they think it ranks on the list. Whoever is closer will get an additional point. So, for example, if you think that Chariots of Fire was on the list and you nominate that movie, you will get one point if it was on the list. But then if you say that it was, you guess that it was number 50, and Todd says it's number 55, and if it was number 45, you would get an additional point. If you nominate a movie that was not on the list, you lose a point. Do the How rules long is this sense? going on? You lose a point? You so lose you, a point. you never get out? Are we going to go to, what, go to 10 or something, or what? Um, uh, we'll go... first to 10, first to 20, something like that. No, I, that's, uh, okay, okay, fine. We'll try first to 10. I wasn't really sure where we'd end it, but yeah, let's do that. First to 10. Let's see how far we can get. So Terry, we're going to start with you. Do you have a film that you would like to nominate? And again, this is from Rolling Stone, not Zach Saltz. This is a Rolling Stone article they put out last month. Top 100 movies of the 1980s. Top 100. Top 100. Correct. All right. The first thing I wrote down was Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Okay. You get a point. It is on the list. So where do you think it falls on the list? 32. Okay. 32. Todd, do you have a counter to that? I mean, I could just say like one, I could do the stupid Price is Right thing, right? But that's not as fun. I'm going to say 88. So Todd gets a point. It is number 73 on the list. Okay. okay. So for keeping score here, the score is technically tied 1-1 at this point with Ghostbusters off the board. Uh, Raging Bull. Raging Bull, believe it or not, is on this list. Uh, Raging Bull is on this list, Todd. You get a point for that. Where do you think it ranks on this list? Two. Okay, Terry. Five. Uh, it ranks number three. Todd gets an additional point for that. So see now I I I look like the idiot because I didn't do the prices right thing. All right. <laughs> so Todd now leads three to one. It is your turn, Terry. Back to the future. 
Back to the Future. Uh, I have to double check. Yes, it is on the list. You get a point for that. Do you have any idea where it is? 32. I think that was your guess last time. <laughs> it's a good number. 18. It is number 65. Terry gets a point for that. And as a result, it is now tied three to three. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back, which I'm shocked Adam did not have on his list. Uh, it is on this list, so Todd gets a point. And Todd, where, where do you think it ranks on this list? 52. Okay, 52. What do you say, Terry? 10. It ranks number 37, which means that Todd gets a point. <laughs> I should I should have said thirty two. <laughs> there you go. The score is now uh, five to three with Todd leading. It is your pick, Terry. Platoon. Platoon. Platoon is uh, not on this list. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's I knew ridiculous. It was, it was coming. It was coming at some point. At some point, you were going to say a movie that did not make the list, and Platoon somehow is not on the top 100. So Terry loses a point. Remember, this is the Rolling Stone. Yeah, but you know, it's Jan, Platoon. Jan Winner. And yeah, uh, there can only be much one, as widely accepted as any movie in the 80s <laughs> well that's exactly what i'm saying there can only be one hunter s thompson i think they have some strange picks on this list and platoon being omitted is definitely one of them so no harm no foul the score is five to two it's still possible todd it is your pick blade runner blade that's runner is on the list where do you think it falls 11 okay. 32 it is number seven Todd gets an additional wow. point. The 32 method isn't really working out well for you, Terry. <laughs> not, not, yet, like yet. Thinking, but... not yet. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. I can't be right. Uh, it is not on the list. Gosh dang it. You lose another point. You're down to one point. <laughs> We're going for one. Do the right thing. Do the right thing is on the list. Where do you think it ranks? Uh, Twenty-one. One. Okay. Terry is correct. It ranks number one. I feel wow. like I should give Terry two points for that for actually getting the correct pick. So I'm I thought about that. saying one too, but we're talking about the Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah, they also had Raging Bull number three and left Platoon off. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, all right. My next one, I'm saying Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, that's a good one. Raiders of the Lost Ark is on the list. So that puts you up to four points. Where do you think it falls? 32. Okay. So you had one movie in the 30s so far. What do you say, Todd? Six. Uh, it is number 10. So Todd gets the point. Todd is one point away from being victorious in this trivia. <laughs> Okay, Todd. Rain what? Man. Rain Man. Not on the list. Oh. The game. It's... They don't like the best picture winners. 
Todd moves down to eight points, and this game will never end. Wow. That was going to be the next one I said. Um, now I've got to reevaluate here. I'm going to go with it anyways. Amadeus. Amadeus. On the list. You get a point. 95. With... Okay. And Todd? <laughs> Um, uh, 64. Terry gets another point. It is number 89. Suddenly, this is, this is like, uh, you know, Carolina Baylor. This is like a 25 point lead. That's, uh, erasing here. It is now eight to six and it is Todd's pick. Full metal jacket. Full metal jacket is on the list. You can win the game here. I'm going to say it's number 29. 32. <laughs> Terry's strategy finally pays off. It is number 79. Terry gets a point. <laughs> the score is now 9 to 7. Terry could, in theory, win right here. But what is your pick, Terry? No, I can't. I'm th- well, I if you get it points. exactly right, you could get it. Oh, exactly right. Gets a second. Gets a second point. Okay, that's right. Oh, okay. Um, I'm out of I'm out of movies that I wrote down, so I've just got to come up with something here. Um, Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Not on the list. Oh. You move down to six points. Okay, Todd. You name a movie. You can technically win it here. Die Hard. Oh crap. (laughs) iHeart is on the list. That makes you the winner. Uh, Just out of curiosity, where do you think it ranks? Uh, 24. 32. It is number 15. So you would get the extra point there anyway. So the top 10 of this list number 10, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Number nine, The Thin Blue Line. Number eight, Stranger Than Paradise. Good pick, by the way. That's Uh a great movie. They were a little artsy-fartsy. Remember, it's the Rolling Stone. Uh, number seven, Blade Runner. Number six, Showa. Number five, Ron, the Akira Kurosawa movie. Number four, Blue Velvet. Number three, Raging Bull. Number two, Videodrome. And number one, as Terry identified, do the right thing. Videodrome? Wow. Videodrome at number two. Yes. That's, that's incredible. What, I, I was going to say eight million ways to die, but you know. <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High, number 32. (laughs) That was number 32. (laughs) What was number 100? What was the last one on? Testament, the nuclear fallout movie with Jane Alexander. Wow. Uh, Let's see. Any other notable ones? Little Mermaid was 83. Um, Heathers was 76. 48 Hours, 72. Bull Durham, 60. Big, 56. Natural. Uh, I don't think that was on the list. No, I'm not seeing it here. The Decalogue 41. It's about 40 spaces too low. And uh, Come and See, the great Elam Klimov Russian war movie, number 12. You made me watch that. All right. Well, Todd wins. He gets to assign his stuff to watch. And that was fun, though, right? That, that, was, that, was that actually turned out better, better than I thought it was going to. That was good. <laughs> that was good. 
So Todd, yeah, Todd gets to host trivia next time. He gets to assign us stuff to watch. Time to wrap this up. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Todd, you win. You get to go first. I, I was just going to quote more uh, Leslie and Tackleberry in, uh, in Police Academy. <laughs> so near the end of the movie, uh, Tackleberry is pounding his head on the hood of the cop car. And Lassard's like, what's wrong with this man? And Leslie says, there was gunplay, sir. And he missed it. <laughs> and that's all you need to know about Tackleberry. That's brilliant. I love it. All right, Zach, what do you got? Uh, I would give the A Beautiful Mind quote. Um, I already gave it. But I'm going to give a quote out uh, from Jason Alexander, uh, who tweeted today about the loss of Estelle Harris who played his mother on uh, Seinfeld, Mrs. Costanza. One of my favorite people has passed, my TV mama, Estelle Harris. The joy of playing with her and relishing her glorious laughter was a treat. I adore you, Estelle. Love to your family. Serenity now and always. Great, great send-off to uh, one of the great comic actresses uh, ever on a TV series. Uh, I recently was watching the episode where... Kramer gets the license plate that says ass man on it. And uh, she's terrific in that episode. She can't cry because she's had eye surgery. Great, great legendary performer. I think my, my, my favorite tribute to her that I saw was uh, someone tweeted out uh, uh, reunited once again and had a picture of Mr. And Mrs. Potato Head from Toy Story. That's I was true. I say that that's a, that's another Toy Story actor that we don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I, if I knew that's that was your quote, I would have I would have let you finish it. But I'm going to go last. Uh, and mine is uh, is something else that I, I would have said for uh, for my list on best cold cocks. But I wanted to save this for for my um, for my quote of the day. Um, and, and it's it's just solid. I mean, solid logic here because it, it, it's from friends is when a fist comes at your face, you duck. <laughs> so no one should ever get cold cocked and that's how ross gets punched in the face and breaks a hand all in the same scene and it's the it's Gunther's you need to get your reaction time worked on or <laughs> when a fist comes at your face you duck i mean that's what it all comes down to there all right well with that we're going to draw this podcast to a close thank you guys so much for listening we'll be back at you next week with another episode and a deep dive. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we will catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. Go Jayhawks. Don't worry about the mules. Just load the wagons.